Okay, we're going to go on in our study of the community of believers. If uh, someone would get 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 for me, Daniel. And if someone else would get um, Ephesians 4, uh, 11 and 12, Pete. So we're looking at how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God that, that Phrase and thought comes from our uh, text in First Timothy. If we could have that. These things I write unto you, hoping to come unto you shortly. If I tarry long, that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and crown of the truth. Paul says, I write these things for the express purpose. I've written this epistle, and that could be said of all his epistles. I write this epistle so that you'll know how to behave yourself or conduct yourself or how your life should play out in the house of God, which is the church of Jesus Christ. So we're, we're looking at how, what the church is, how it relates to us, how we relate to it, uh, you know, how it uh, affects our lives, uh, how we conduct ourselves in relationship to the church. Many people today feel that Christianity is so personal that, uh, you know, it has, uh, it has no broader context. But scripturally, your Christian context is the church. You are the church. And without the church, you're not Christian. And so, uh, we've been looking at various aspects of this. And last week we started looking at the issue of authority, the way the church is structured in authority and government. And uh, we looked at uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, if we could have that. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers uh, for the uh, edifying and the perfecting of the church. And so this is in essence, a listing of uh, church leadership. And we looked at these various gifts as you study this through in the New Testament. You see these are not offices, these are gifts. And uh, as a man exercises this gift, there's a clear recognition on the part of the church uh, that there is this gifting. And so uh, we align ourselves with those who operate in these gifts. And so... Uh, we looked at apostles, prophets, and evangelists last week. We're going to look at pastor teachers this morning. And uh, you need to understand that in the original language in the Greek that uh, the New Testament was written in, uh, the grammar of that statement, pastors, teachers, is there's no definitive article. And so it's all one word. There's no separation. Pastor teachers is the thought that is contained in that. That doesn't mean necessarily that they're, they're not pastors and teachers that have separate giftings, uh, but uh, in terms of leadership, uh, it's, it's a pastor-teacher. And so uh, you and I want to come to grips with how, because this is obviously the most uh, pertinent of these offices, we, or, or of these gifts rather. We looked at the apostle, prophet, evangelist, and how they uh, function in the church leadership, but clearly pastor is the one that we relate to most on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and so we want to really get a handle on what the pastor-teacher is all about. Uh, uh, and so let's get some scriptures and start to look at scripturally uh, uh, what this man's authority, what his gifting uh, is, and how it works through in the church and in our lives. First Peter 5, 
2 to 4. Somebody get that for me. Dave, uh, Acts 20, 28, Sam. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 9. Randy, Joel, get me. Uh, Titus 1, 7 to 11. Numbers 27, 16 and 17. Dennis and uh, Rod, get me uh, Luke 22, 24 to 27. All right, there are a number of words that are synonymous in the New Testament with pastor. Uh, Pastor is really not used that often, uh, very rarely as a matter of fact. But uh, the word that is synonymous or the words that are synonymous crop up again and again. And as you study them through, you begin to understand that we're we're really referring to the exact same gifting. So 1 Peter 5, 2-4. Okay, and so read me just the first sentence again. Feed the flock of God. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight of it, not by constraint, but willingly. Taking the oversight of it. Or other translations say, uh, uh, feed the flock of God of whom God has made you overseer. That is the word elder. That is the uh, same word that is used uh, as shepherd or as pastor. It's the same uh, concept that God has made you an overseer to feed the flock of God. Acts 20, 28. Okay, of, of which God has made you overseers. Uh, and again, the metaphor is that of a shepherd. Both of these are talking about the flock of God, shepherding the flock. Uh, the word that's used here again, overseers, is other places translated elder. It's the same word. It's the same uh, uh, designation. This has to do with shepherding the flock, uh, leading the flock. We're going to look more at that metaphor in just a moment. But just to mix it up even more, there are some other terms that still come out the same basic way. We see uh, the word bishop being used. 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 9. Nope, that's far enough. And so uh, this is the Anheuser-Busch translation. Uh, and it says that uh, 
it should not be a heavy drinker. Well, what it says is abstain from drink. And so, uh, but, but you know, we, we want to make allowance for some light drinking. A little tippling is good for the soul. <clears throat> and so, uh, what translation is that, by the way? Oh, it's Paul's fault. <laughs> and Paul denies it. New Living Translation, which is a paraphrase, and they aren't interested in the original language at all. And very clearly, the guy who wrote that was a drinker. And so, uh, but if you'll notice, he used the term elder, okay? That is, we're talking about interchangeable terms. These are, wor- these are, are specific words, episkopos, uh, pres- presbyteros, uh, diakonos, there's several words in the Greek. They can, they're, they're interchangeable. Uh, you know, I, I can't think of a, an example right off the top of my head in English. You know, shoe, boot, uh, galoshes, uh, you know. In, in other words, there are words that you can use that, that mean the same thing. And that's what we're looking at. We see uh, in this case they, they plugged in the word elder because that's appropriate. Uh, in most translations, the term bishop is used there. Other translations use the word uh, overseer again, but uh, it's all it all refers to the exact same thing. And as you listen, as you read through that text, very clearly that they're setting forth certain qualifications for a position of pastoral leadership in the church. Titus 1, 7 to 11 is another example. Uh, this is using the word diakonos, uh, Titus 1, 7 to 11. Okay, notice there it says bishop. Diakonos, deacon, is the, the, the common translation there. But you're going to see that uh, deacon actually translates differently uh, in different contexts. So go ahead. Not 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 <laughs> this is uh, the Joel Morrison translation. Uh, but that means marijuana's okay, because that's not a hard drug. <laughs> not given to hard drugs. Okay, not given to wine. Okay, and so this translation, as I said, uh, is uh, working on clarity, trying to make clear what we're dealing with. In First Timothy, we read the uh, qualifications of a bishop, an overseer, an episkopos. Uh, this is diakonos, but as you read through most translations, uh, you will find that when the Bible is referring to deacons, it uses the word deacons, and that is only two or three times. Most of the time, diakonos is translated minister throughout the New Testament and is referring to the pastoral office. And so as you study this through, many times you'll find that these words cross over, they overlap. That is not to confuse the, uh, the, uh, the leadership role of pastor or bishop or overseer with the servant role of diakonos or deacon. 
We're not going to take time to study deacon through because we're looking at leadership gifts and the deacon was not a leadership position. It was a position of service. We see it most clearly in uh, Acts chapter uh, 7 or 8. Uh, and uh, we're just not going to take the time to study that through. But what I want you to see is all these terms, minister, overseer, bishop, pastor, shepherd. These are all terms that apply to pastoral gifting. And when you begin to look at them in their contexts, they give you kind of a different slant or a different perception in what the role of this leader is. And so uh, what we see as we look through this gift list in Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, we see leadership gifting that is clearly legitimate in the church of Jesus Christ. God put it there. We're living in a day and age where uh, this is uh, many, many times taken to task and the legitimacy of these gifts is questioned. But biblically, it's there. See, the, the Generation Xers watchword uh, is uh, question authority. That's the way they view it. They, they don't believe that there should be any authority. They don't believe anyone should have any leadership capacity whatsoever. Everybody's uh, doing their own thing. But God has always, throughout the Bible, used an authoritative voice uh, of gifted leadership to guide His people and to guide His church. And that is indisputable. I read uh, uh, a book that was put together by a very intelligent young man, but the man was bent. And he was doing everything he could to say, you know what, There's, there shouldn't be a, a, a leader in the church. There shouldn't be leadership. If it's leadership, it should be democratic. There should be checks and balances and all of that. You won't find that as a model in the Bible. You simply will not find that. You will not find God's leaders being elected. You will not find democratic checks and balances. You'll find the authoritative gifting of God. And see, the problem is, kind of reiterating what I said last week, the problem in in the guy's mind about uh, you know a democratic sort of uh, governing of the church is he's thinking in terms of just secular models. He's thinking in terms of the way we govern ourselves, which is fine in a secular realm. But, but these are not offices. These are gifts. That's the distinction that you have to keep in mind at all times or you'll get confused. And you'll begin, to, you'll begin to challenge it. You'll begin to question it. You'll begin to have problems with it. And so uh, listen to God's logic for this. Why did God choose to do this? Because we do see that this perhaps opens itself to abuse. We talked about that a little bit last week. And so there's potential here for calamity. But why did God say, okay, I'm going to raise up a man and I'm going to put him in a place of authority and leadership and he's going to speak for me? Why did God do that? Listen to Numbers 27, 16 and 17. He says, let God raise up a man who will go out before them and uh, come in before them and make a way for them that the people of God will not be like sheep without a shepherd. You've got to understand human nature. Human nature requires leadership. We can't get anything done without leadership. It's the way it works. When kids go out on a baseball field, they appoint two guys to be head of the team. 
and then they and then they draw teams. They they put somebody in charge instinctively because they know if so, if nobody's in charge, then you know how are you gonna how are you gonna point who's first base, who's second base, who's third base, who's gonna figure all that out? Somebody's got to be in charge. Corporations have CEOs because if you just say, look, we got to produce a car, go to it. You're going to have reproduction of, you know, everybody's going to build tires and nobody's going to build an engine. You're going to have all kinds of chaos and catastrophe because by nature we have to have leadership. The image that is used again and again throughout Scripture is like sheep. And sheep without a shepherd are at a complete loss. They don't know how to find food. They don't know how to find water. They don't know how to defend themselves. They don't know how to do anything. If you just say, okay, sheep, there's the big wide world, go for it. You'll have dead sheep very soon. They have to have a shepherd. It's the way God designed us. Okay, and so this immediately goes against our ego. And immediately there are minds right now that are clicking out there going, I don't, I don't, hey, come on, man, I'm not a dumb sheep. I can take care of myself. Nobody has to take care of me. Right? I don't, I don't need a leader. I can do this. That's not the way God built you. And God's perspective on this is if they don't have a leader, if I don't raise someone up to lead them, they're going to get lost. They're going to get lost. And I have yet to meet a Christian who is not under authority and headship who is not lost. I have yet to meet one. I've been saved 28 years. And I've talked to all kinds of Christians And the ones that are not in the church and that have no headship in their lives are inevitably insane. They are sheep that have no food. They don't know what the Bible says. They don't know what God says. They don't know anything. They're completely lost because that's the way God made them. So I want to look at this a little bit more. I want to look at this whole shepherding metaphor a little bit and some other uh, indications of a a pastor's role in our lives as Christians. Uh, and so we're going to look at Luke 22 in a minute. I also need 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Pete, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Mike, uh, 1 Peter 5, 2-4, uh, Lucas, uh, Isaiah 40.10 and 11, Acts 20, 28-30, somebody over here, uh, Daniel, Acts 6.4, uh, Chad, 1 Timothy 5.17, Don, Titus 1, 7-22, Casey, and uh, we'll get these others in a minute. Okay, Luke 22, 24-27. The okay, there's strife among the disciples. Who's, 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 who's going to be the greatest? Okay, right off the bat, you're getting insight into human nature. Okay, the kings of the Gentiles, when they're in charge, when they're the greatest, they lord it over each other. That's the way the world functions. You put somebody in power, and they use that power to control. Okay? You shall not be so. Okay, 
He that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. In other words, you've got the whole concept of the eldest brother assuming leadership and uh, uh, being in charge and throwing his weight around. So what he's saying now is, no, you'll be like the youngest in the family who's supposed to serve. He's the one that's supposed to take care of everybody else. And the chief among you as a servant. Go ahead. Jesus then moves. Listen to what he does here because it's stunning. He says, who's great? Who's greatest? The one who sits at meat or the one who serves the meat? He says, obviously, it's the one who sits at meat. They're the, they're the, uh, the one in authority and control. He says, but I have come amongst you to serve you. What he does right there is he says, I am your leadership model. I am your leadership model. Critical that you understand what he's saying here. Because he says this is what it's all about. It's about serving. And I am a demonstration of that service. So, if you want to understand the proper relationship between you and your pastor, then consider the relationship that existed between Jesus and his disciples. Because that's the model he gives his disciples. He says, okay, you want to talk about leadership? You want to talk about greatness in the kingdom? I'm the example of this. How have I related to you? How have I served you? What is my impact on you? And how do you relate to me? Now, uh, when you think through the implications of what I just said, you're going to go, no, no, wait a minute. I'm supposed to relate to my pastor like Jesus? Yes. An unmitigated yes. There is a perception here that is absolutely critical to a Christian's understanding. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 You became followers of us and the Lord. You're not just followers of Jesus. You're followers of us and the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Stunning statement. So when we preached to you, when we spoke to you, you didn't receive it as the word of men. You received it as the word of God. You didn't sit there and say, well, you know, I like this and I don't like that. I accept this and I don't accept that. You received it as the Word of God. Now, that obviously doesn't mean that you become ignorant and blind and you don't read the Bible and you don't compare Scripture with Scripture and you don't compare uh, the things that are taught and the things that are spoken with the Word of God. What Paul is getting at there is not simply that you blindly accepted everything we said, but you accepted the word of God that we spoke to you with the same authority as if God himself had spoken it to you. It had that kind of weight in your life. So we get up and we, and we preach something and we, you know, we say something and uh, you, you, you take that in and you listen to it and then you walk away and 30 minutes later you're doing exactly the opposite of what we preached. But I bet you if God himself showed up and said, this is what I want you to do, Bubba, you wouldn't forget. (laughs) 
you wouldn't forget. We're talking about serious clout. And this is what Paul actually claims for his position and office. So the would-be leader looks at Jesus, and what does he see? How did Jesus lead? He sees humility. He sees compassion. He sees wisdom. He sees instruction. He sees sometimes a very hard edge. But always the hard edge has a redemptive edge to it, a purpose. It's not just being a hard nose. It's bringing a point home. Get thee behind me, Satan, is a hard saying. Okay? I I, I doubt Pastor Mitchell has ever called you Satan. But he may have come down with a fairly heavy hand. But that wasn't to brutalize. That was to get your attention. Why did Jesus say that to Peter? Did he say that to crush him? Obviously not. Everything Jesus did was to try to get Peter, you know, moving in the right direction. Come on, man. You can make it. I got plans for you. I got purposes for you. Uh, You have a future. You have a destiny. You have a calling. Everything Jesus did was to produce that calling in Peter's life. But there came a time when Peter needed a stiff rebuke. And when Jesus spoke those words, I guarantee you, Peter was troubled in spirit. He probably went home all afternoon and said, I can't believe he called me Satan. I can't believe he called me Satan. What do you think, James? Do I look like Satan? Looking in the mirror. Not Satan, man. That's hard. That is hard. But it got his attention. (laughs) And he realized that he savored not the things of God, but the things of his own flesh. And he had to go home and he had to wrestle through the implications of Jesus' death on the cross and what that meant for him personally and what that meant for the world at large. And so uh, we're dealing here, when we look at Jesus as a model for leadership, we see these dynamics. The disciple... When he looks, how does a disciple relate to Jesus? How does a disciple relate to that kind of leadership? Uh, he sees authority. Uh, unquestioning. Uh, that's, uh, that's clear. He sees authority. He sees leadership. He sees following. You know, come after me. Follow me. Go where I'm going. He sees a, a process of learning. Uh, Pastor Tom Payne, we were just up in Albuquerque. Uh, at a rally up there, and he preached one of the cleanest, clearest sermons I have ever heard on discipleship. And uh, it's just it's just a masterpiece of uh, of insight. And in that, he said the disciple's relationship to a pastor is like uh, an apprentice carpenter to a carpenter, to a master carpenter. And what he's trying to do is learn to master the same things that the man who's teaching him has mastered. He, this, the man who's teaching him has mastered, or at least has mastered to a much greater degree, this Christian walk and this relationship with God. And so as a disciple, my desire is to get everything I can from this guy and absorb everything I can so I can be just like that. It's a apprentice carpenter to a master carpenter relationship. So there's this learning process, there's this reception process. And so here's a, you know, here we are, we're 40 years old or so, and, and nobody can tell us anything. Because we already know it all. But that's not the relationship that the Bible paints with your pastor, okay? Uh, there's a process of imitation, and there's a process of reproduction. 
This is what you see when you're thinking about the way uh, uh, Jesus as leader related to his disciples and the way the disciples related to Jesus' leadership. And this is the model that Jesus puts forth. He says, this is how the kingdom works. If you want to know how the kingdom functions, this is the leadership role, this is the leadership model that you're going to use. You're not going to use secular models. You're not going to be a CEO. You're not going to be a dictator. You're not going to be uh, uh, that kind of a leader. It's not for you. Its purposes is not for your ends as a leader. The purpose of leading is to build up and edify the church. The purpose of leading is to bring people into their destiny and into their calling in God. It's for them. It's not for you. It's not so you can have a big name. You know, sometimes Christianity today looks more like Hollywood than the church. It's all about big names, you know, big name people with big churches. But that's not, that's not what the Bible's about. You know, most of the world probably has never heard of Wayman Mitchell. And that's exactly as it should be. That's exactly as it should be. Now, here's a man whose life has gone into thousands of lives. We can't even imagine how far-reaching his influence has been. But you'll never find him on TBN. You'll never see big, glossy fold-outs in ministries today. (laughs) Pastor Mitchell with a coat hanger stuck in his mouth. You're not going to find that. Because he has never tried to build the kingdom of Mitchell, contrary to the accusations. It was never about the kingdom of Mitchell. It was about taking pea brains like Scott Lamb. You know, you got to understand, I was a dribbling, drooling maniac when I came into church. And raising him up to be whatever God wanted him to be. Or Corey Pratt. Or Chris Olson. Or uh, Adam Scary. It was very scary. He went out to pastor without his Bible. That's, that's beyond understanding. I don't know if we taught him anything. I'm, I went home and began to pray. God, you've got to help us. We're obviously missing something. It's not about building a kingdom for me. It's about cooperating with God to build his kingdom in you. That's what leadership is in the church of Jesus Christ. And that's the model of Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't come here to set up my kingdom. He could have, couldn't he? He's Lord, after all. And the Bible tells us there is coming a day when he will do that. He'll set up his headquarters in Jerusalem and he'll say, you, you're dead. (laughs) But that's not what he did. He came and he served and he said, that is the model of leadership in the church, that's the way a pastor lives, thinks, approaches things, and that's the way those he pastors relate to him. Questions? Thoughts? Uh, Wayne, I know that. I've known you for years. I just had one of those wonderful moments. Very good. I believe that ultimately uh, this is the only model that works in life. Okay? And so ultimately, yes. Uh, you think about government 
Uh, you think about the corruption that is in government. What if all of our national leaders came into their office with the uh, idea, you know what, I want to serve these people? As opposed to, I, I want to uh, make a lot of money and get a lot of power and influence. What a different country this would be. What a different world this would be. So ultimately, I believe, and I think it's a very good point, that if you are in a position of leadership in the world, if you will import Christian perceptions of leadership into what you're doing, you're going to have greater success. And God's going to bless that. I only qualify that by saying, keep in mind you are in the secular arena. And therefore, sometimes your, your, uh, uh, <laughs> your approach and the way you deal with things, you're going to find that uh, the Christian means doesn't necessarily work because they're not receiving. So you may have to sharpen your sword a little or do, uh, make some changes. But if, you, if your motivation, in the bottom line, if your motivation is to serve, you're going to be a success. You're going to be a success, uh, Victor. had an edge of redemption. That's what it was all about. So yes, the, the image of Jesus washing the feet is very clearly the image of serving. And uh, so that's what a leader does. Some feet you can get clean with just a little soap. Some feet need Brillo. <laughs> Some foot washings can be a painful experience. Okay? Uh, Pete. Gravity is about weight. That's what gravity is all about. And gravity has different pulls on different masses. 
This is exactly what gravity is. If someone has gravity in its proper context, it means he understands what is heavy and what is light. Balls were made for throwing. Barbells were made for lifting. Trucks were made for not going near because they're way too big to do anything with. And so, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's the proper estimation. There are some things you can kid around about. There are some things I delight in kidding around about. There are probably some things I shouldn't kid around about that I do kid around about because that's the way I am. Nonetheless, there are some things I won't go near because of gravity. Because some things have weight and some things don't. And so uh, sometimes when you say lighten up, that's appropriate. Sometimes when you say get serious, that's appropriate. So uh, leadership has to be taken with the understanding that we're dealing with eternal souls. We're dealing with destiny. We're dealing with God's plan. And so uh, Mitchell's serious little men, as uh, Pete refers to, we were labeled at some point, uh, Mitchell's serious little men, first of all, uh, are also God's serious little men. And uh, they're serious for a very, very good reason. Okay? And so uh, sometimes keep that in mind when uh, you feel like maybe the sermon was a little too heavy-handed or you feel like the discipline was perhaps a little uh, extreme or whatever you may say, uh, keep in mind, uh, we're giving account for your souls, the Bible says. And we take that pretty seriously because we know there's an eternity where we're going to answer. You won't. We will. You'll just dance into heaven, thank God. They'll stop me at the gate and say, uh, you come into this room. <laughs> we want to talk to you. Okay. <clears throat> First Peter 5, 2 to 4. Okay, now again, notice the link. Shepherd, the chief shepherd. Okay, the, 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 connect the dots. It's very obvious that we're talking about Jesus as the model of leadership. And so he says that there are certain things you need to do, and he goes back to the shepherding metaphor. He addresses the motives of the shepherd, which I don't want to bother with right now, but the whole point is he's saying this is what you're called to do. You're called to be a shepherd just like the chief Shepherd. Isaiah 40, 10 and 11 speaks about Jesus as the shepherd. Listen to these words. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arms rule for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Okay. He's, this is a mixed metaphor if ever you've seen one. He first he talks about the powerful arm that's coming with its recompense and its judgment. This is God. And then immediately he flip-flops and says he treats him like a shepherd. And he, he says he, he feeds them, he gathers them together, he carries them, and he leads them gently. Here's this incredible contrast of two uh, aspects of God and of His leadership. But when we're thinking about the shepherding metaphor, we see these words applied to Jesus. Responsible to feed. Clearly, that's talking about spiritual nourishment, talking about the bread of life, the Word of God. We're responsible for that. We're responsible to properly 
come to grips with the Bible and to communicate that to you. That is our responsibility. We are to gather. That means, uh, you know, this is a foreshadowing of evangelism. This is a foreshadowing of pulling God's people together and uh, being able to uh, uh, tap all of the various giftings and energy that's in this group of people and use that for his purpose uh, uh, to gather them together, to make a team and a unit out of them. Uh, it goes on and says they are to carry. That means they are to care for the weak and the uh, difficult and the sheep that, you know, they, there's always one little sheep just doesn't get it, you know. All the sheep are going, okay, here we go. We're going where we're going. And there's one little sheep over here going, I think I want to go over here. And so it's his, the shepherd's responsibility to go and take that sheep on his shoulders. You can't make it. I'm carrying you. There's an incredible sacrifice uh, uh, that is portrayed in that and a con- an incredible concern uh, for the weak and the needy in the flock. Uh, and he goes on and says uh, that he leads them gently. Uh, this is the concept of the shepherd. Shepherds don't drive sheep. They get before them and they lead them. They go in front of them. They take the brunt of whatever it is that's coming their way. They lead them in the path that they should go. And so the sheep follow them, the shepherd leads. This is all the imagery that is spoken here of Christ's leadership and thus we as under shepherds. Okay, let's move on. Acts 20, 28 and 30. 20, 28 to 30. Okay, so uh, Paul is commissioning the Ephesian pastors and he's saying to them, there's two things I want you to do. Feed the flock of God. Back to feeding them the word of God. Then he says, uh, also there's going to come grievous wolves. There's going to be people from outside the church that are going to attack the people of God. He's cautioning them. He says, you've got to be aware of this. And then he says, also there will arise from amongst you. People that will lead them astray. And so here's a shepherd's responsibility to uh, keep the wolf at bay, so to speak. To deal with those without and within who would corrupt the church, who would corrupt the uh, uh, perception of those that are under them and lead them astray. And so there's a protection here and there's a feeding here uh, that is absolutely critical. Uh, we see these notions again coming up in Acts 6.4. Okay, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the Word. This is uh, this is Paul saying, you know what? We've got a responsibility here to make sure we're getting the Word of God correctly to you. And so this is feeding, First Timothy five seventeen. Okay, the Word and doctrine again. So we're talking about feeding. We see the necessity of feeding. We also see the necessity of uh, protecting. Titus 1, 7 to 22. I gave that to somebody, didn't I? Titus 1, 7 to 22. Or 17 to 22. Did I miss a number here? Let me back up. 
No. <laughs> 7 to 12? That's the problem. I hit two twice. Okay, so here's uh, Paul referring again to the responsibilities of a pastor. He talks about character issues, and then he goes into this concept of there are those that are insubordinate and deceivers who lead people astray whose mouths must be stopped. He said, this is a responsibility, Titus, that you have. You have to silence those uh, who uh, would lead people into false doctrine. You have to stop their influence in the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, Recently, there were men who rose up from amongst us who had their own agenda and their own ideas about the kingdom of God. And so there was actions that were taken. And ultimately, we put churches in to the cities where those men had churches because they were going a completely different direction. There's been a great deal of whining about this. That's not right. This is what are you doing? Putting this uh, uh, church in where there's already a church, blah, blah, blah. This is a pastor's responsibility. We had no choice but to say, here are sheep that are being led astray. If I take Titus seriously, I cannot allow that. I cannot allow that. I cannot in good conscience say, okay, you guys just go do your own thing. Go in peace. Be thou warmed and filled. Obviously, you have a different vision, a different desire. You just go and teach them whatever you want. You want to roll around on the carpet like cockroaches? That's fine. That's your vision. Do it. You can't do that. Not with good conscience. Not as a pastor. You have to say, no, you're leading them into insanity. And if you will not receive instruction and do what's right, then we will afford them the leadership and protection that they need. And we won't settle for anything less. So there's nothing uh, unethical about that. It would have been unethical not to respond. It would have been unethical not to respond. And so we see this clearly. This is Titus's commission. Let's have a couple other scriptures. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. I may not have given that. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. Stop to Titus. Okay, Mike, could you get that for me? 2 Corinthians 10, 13, Pete. Hebrews 13, 7. We're, gosh. Hebrews 13, 7. Uh, Mike. Hebrews 13, 17. Mike. Different Mike. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15. Daniel. Philippians 2, 29. Okay. Different Mike. And Philippians 2, 12. Uh, Guido. All right. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Okay, listen. Now we're moving into how we relate to our pastor. And he says, uh, says, uh, take heed of those, remember those, think of those that are over you and esteem them highly for their work's sake. Esteem them highly 
for their work's sake. 2 Corinthians 10, 13. The word sphere there is literally the word rule. It's the word uh, canon. It, it literally is the word that we get our word canon from or the legitimate uh, uh, writings of the Bible. It's from the word that means cane or a straight reed. It means a standard and by implication a boundary. And so what Paul says is uh, we are not overstepping our boundaries uh, when we move in a leadership position in your life and we set boundaries for you. That's exactly what he's saying. Okay? Uh, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who are over you, who speak the word to you, uh, consider the outcome of their conduct. They have set an example that you should be following. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. For they have to give an account and it wouldn't be profitable for you to constantly buck against that authority. Second Thessalonians three fourteen and fifteen. And if any man obeys not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Go ahead. Paul says, if any man uh, doesn't heed this letter, I'm writing a letter, I'm telling you what you ought to be doing. If any man won't heed that, then you need to mark that man. You need to be certain that you understand. This man has violated, and he said, he goes on and says, now tr- you gotta, you gotta keep working with him. Don't hate the man, but he's out of line. He's wrong. Okay? Uh, Philippians 2, 29. Okay, this is, Paul commending pastoral leadership to the Philippians. He says, welcome him and uh, honor him. Philippians 2.12. Wherefore, as you always have obeyed. Now, I, I, we're looking at a, a number of scriptures and we see very clearly that there's a submission, obedience, relationship that's involved here. And there's an esteeming of this. There's an honoring of this. There's a love that is called for and a response to this that isn't up for grabs. Okay, There's too many scriptures uh, that confront the attitude of the heart here for you and I to ignore them. Now, this is not the kind of ministry and preaching that's going to be invited on to TBN. This is not what people like to hear. How many of you cringe at the word obey? Hmm, obey? My wife said to me the other day, she said, I can't believe you're a Christian. You hate authority so much. Because <laughs> some little pipsqueak had told me I couldn't ride on this road. And I was upset. It's my road. I'm allowed to ride on my road. I don't need some little kid with a radio saying, you can't go here because there have been accidents here. I'm thinking, oh, so I better stop riding on Highway 69 because there have been accidents there. And uh, In fact, I better stop riding on any road because there have been accidents everywhere you turn. But that's just me rebelling against pipsqueak authority. And so I didn't run him over. I just pulled off the road and went somewhere else. I was a nice Christian. 
See, see, we by nature resist authority. And the word obey conjures up bad things in our heart. But God loves obedience. He loves obedience. And He puts people in our lives that He says, I want you to obey them. I want you to obey them. You may not agree with them, but I want you to obey them. Okay, let's take a couple of hands. Casey, we're going to have to wrap it up. Absolutely. A leader is always a visionary to one extent or another. He has to see where he's going. He has to be the one that can look down the road and see where we're going. Okay? Yeah, it's, it's, an issue, it's a question of life, not just a question of uh, platitudes. It's a question of following an example, not just listening to a word. Okay, uh, Bear. In that text... mushy about them. Something you push in and it just sort of goes, you know, it's something mushy about these guys. Very, very good. And so uh, the whole concept of a, just a teaching church is uh, is losing the other half of the whole concept. The t- pastor-teacher works together. There's got to be an edge. There's got to be preaching. So next week, I want you to, this week, I want you to ponder Matthew 18, 15 to 17. Okay? And actually run it through 19. Matthew 18, 15 to 19. Take those verses, ponder them this week. We'll be talking about them. Uh, next week.